this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Darren Hager. This is Business of E-Commerce, episode 32. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Darren Hager. Darren is the CEO, the Chief Everything Officer of Heyday Footwear. I asked him on the show today to talk about his journey from designer to brand owner to e-commerce star. So, hey, Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Charles. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. It turns out we uh, graduated, graduated from the same college, a, a small little college, and it's uh, surprising to find someone else. So definitely uh, interesting when I saw that. So great to have you on the show. Awesome. So, hey, hey day footwear. Um, kind of, kind of wanted to first find out what exactly is it, and then we can kind of talk about how you got started in it and where your kind of journey began. Okay, well, Heyday is a design-driven performance high-top sneakers for uh, bodybuilders, powerlifters, and fitness athletes who uh, are also trendsetters. If you want to stand out in and out of the gym, Heyday uh, makes the sneakers for you. Okay, so you're, like um, when you're lifting, powerlifting, those like they're very flat shoes usually, the flat bottom, kind of high top. Correct. Okay, cool. So then how did you get started with this? Is it, you know, were you uh, lifting before this and kind of got into it or where did this all kind of begin? Uh, well, it always worked out, but um, Heyday came about um, 11 years ago. Um, I had been a corporate designer uh, for three or four major brands um, after graduating from design school in Boston. And um, after, in 2006, I left my last corporate job as senior designer at Sperry Topsider. Um, I just wanted to go out and do my own thing. Um, I think I was born to be an entrepreneur and didn't even know it, at least at that time. But I just, I didn't want to work for someone. Um, I had ideas about how I wanted to do things. I'd been in the business a long time. Um, I had a lot of contacts, uh, and I thought I could just do it. I could do it myself. And, um, I eventually got there. Um, I started the brand, developing the brand in 2007, um, came to market in 2008. This was when the whole sneakerhead trend was sort of in full swing in um, the mid to late 2000s. And uh, I started the brand obviously on my own. Um, I had factory contacts in China. So I've been to China many times. Uh, as of today, I've been to China 55 times in my career. Um, but it was really the first time I had to start going literally by myself and doing all the things that my previous large corporate um, job they had all these people in place to do all these different tasks from other designers to graphic designers to developers to people working at the factories to people doing commercializing the product, retailing it, merchandising it, importing it. Well, all of a sudden I had to do all of those things because um, there was no one else. I was bootstrapping it. I bootstrapped it for 10 years um, and the brand started out um, – in a, a couple of small boutiques. I had the tannery in Cambridge. Um, I had a couple of stores in LA. I had a couple in Japan. Um, I started going to all the footwear uh, wholesale trade shows in, in Las Vegas and New York. 
And after a year or two, I guess about two years, I was in Finish Line, Bloomingdale's, um, Revolve Clothing, ASOS, um, you know, Oak in New York, um, you name it, from crappy little urban hip-hop stores in the Southeast to the biggest stores in the mall and the most stylish contemporary stores as well. We were kind of all over, but we were also in the middle of the economic downturn and I didn't have any financing. It was just literally just me. I, at that point, I had um, a sales agency uh, working for me and a sales manager, but the, between the, the downturn leading to the independent stores, really not having any credit anymore, uh, so that I didn't want to, I did basically didn't want to give them a uh, product uh, on, on credit terms because I, I was doing credit checks to nobody had any money to the big guys who either like Bloomingdale's would pay 120 days late or to um, others, other store like Finn did um, a 10 door test there. Sell through was okay, but not where it was, not where they needed it to be to continue selling it there. Of course, I blame the buyer at the time because I the shoes that he picked custom to go into the finish line were the worst choices ever, but that's, that's what they wanted. So that's what we made them. Um, so after kind of going, riding this wave up and down, up and down in, in the wholesale uh, market, I decided after reading a book uh, that I came across called The New Rules of Retail by Robin Lewis, uh, who's a sort of a retail master out of New York, um, where basically the book talked about how retail started out with catalogs at Sears and Roebuck, which was, an ex which was a, a big change from the general stores where you, know, you could only go to a store and buy what they had there to Sears Roebuck, where all of a sudden now you got a catalog delivered to your house and they'd ship stuff to you. And then how that changed into the department store. And then the department store changed into the specialty store. And then by the mid 2000s, uh, the need for, for actual wholesale and retailers was going away because brands could start to go direct to the consumer through their own e-commerce. And I was like, wait a minute, that might just work. My customers are crazy for the shoes, but these I'm letting the 10 different people control my business because they were the 10 biggest buyers. So naturally, you know, if the buyer says, hey, I want you to do brown with pink, unless you want to not get that money, you're going to do what they say. But then that leaves those 10 buyers or whatever it is basically controlling your company. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be the control of the company and setting the trends. So I realized that going direct to consumer was, you know, it's, it's a genius thing. So I initially started out with just an informational website and I was on a platform that wasn't conducive to e-commerce it was like uh, an enterprise SaaS thing that what, i was the very what year was this first what, what year is this we're talking about now uh 2012 or 2011 um so i was on a platform that i was their very first shopping cart i was the very first store and it worked for a while but then they wound up taking the their platform in a different direction away from e-commerce and the you know the brand kind of went up and down. I I discovered bodybuilders on Instagram wearing my shoes. We were like a streetwear brand. 
we did a lot with uh, all the hip hop dance shows on TV, like So You Think You Can Dance and America's Best Dance Crew. So we were kind of in that market. And then I, I see bodybuilders wearing the shoes on Instagram and more and more wearing them. And I'm like, wow, this could be a really, really big market because athleisure was getting big. Um, you know, everyone was starting to shop at Whole Foods and go organic and wearables and Fitbit. Like it was just this perfect storm of fitness related markets sort of hitting at the same time. And, um, you know, the shoes, I didn't design them initially specifically for bodybuilding. It just so happened that the shoes were perfect for bodybuilding as they were. Um, so I decided I was really going to go into that market. Um, and by 2016, I realized I really needed to get on a, on a better uh, shopping cart platform. And I heard an interview on another podcast um, with the CEO from greats.com, uh, which is a casual sneaker brand in Brooklyn. And they were talking about how they were on Shopify Plus. And my old platform, I used to have to call the developer to get them to do anything. All I could do was upload photos. If any little change, there was no integrations with any apps, there was no apps, there was nothing. So any little thing I needed them to do. And basically, eventually they got tired of taking requests from me constantly. So when I found out about Shopify, I had my store rebuilt in two hours. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. All the stuff that you can do, I can do myself. And all the, the, the app store, it was, it was such an amazing feeling to sort of like be free, like in the matrix, like anything was possible. Um, and I've been really happy with Shopify. I've been there now almost uh, two years. And business is growing. Um, we're getting into new markets. Um, we had been just really in bodybuilding. And now we're starting to find a, a lot of customers in powerlifting and strongman competitions uh, that also want um, performance sneakers that make them stand out, that are really comfortable and don't look like anything else, and that they can wear out of the gym and not look like they're wearing gym shoes. The shoes are really versatile. Uh, and so that's something that, that people are really into because there's a, like Olympic lifting shoes that are uh, have a completely solid sole. Um, you can't even walk across the gym in them because they're not they don't flex. It's purely to do squats and deadlifts, and that's all you can do in it. And you got to actually change your shoes to do anything else. I actually have a pair. I actually have a pair of those, and I bring two pairs of shoes to the gym, and I use specific for and you know the higher hail. That's all they do, and then you have to take the, You literally can't walk with them. Yep, I have. I that's, have. That's where we come in. You can go from leg day to cardio to date night, same <laughs> shoes. Very cool. All right, so you just took us through about twelve years there, pretty quickly. So definitely <laughs> want to dig into a few of those years. Um, so when you first, so 2006, you quit your job, you were working uh, Sperry, so corporate job. Was it? Did you have something going, or was this just kind of a plan, or you? you know, had some savings you just kind of ran off of because you was the plan just to bootstrap this. So how did you actually decide to do this day one? Well, I actually decided I was going to leave Sperry. Um, I was just not, not enjoying myself there. Um, and I started freelancing. I was freelancing for Sebago, uh, which is Sperry's number one competitor. I freelanced for other brands that were within the same conglomerate as, uh, as Sperry, like Saucony. Um, 
I did work for Reebok. I mean, I, I did work all over. And then I started working with uh, a guy that I used to work with at Sperry who left and started his own brand. And he got into tactical boots. And I started working with him. And we designed um, quite a number of styles for his brand, um, which he then sold to New Balance. Um, but I, I had a sort of large background in tactical and, and law enforcement boots. And that uh, experience doing those boots for, literally for the military cropped up again at heyday uh, two years ago when I was looking to design a new style and I was thinking a tactical boot that you could wear to the gym. And so I, I kind of just looked back into what I'd been doing a few years earlier and came up with a, a really amazing design uh, that I have a number of police officers that actually wear them for their duty service shoes and then they wear them to the gym or they just look like kick-ass combat boots, but they're as comfortable as a sneaker because they are a sneaker. Um, so I, I do look sort of to the past um, throughout my career because I've had a long career and I'm able to pull stuff out and apply it in new places where it's something new to a new customer base. Yeah. I I'm still curious though, when you quit, it sounds like, I mean, cause I know footwear, it's, um, it's definitely not something cheap to get into and going to flying back about the China and that first run or like, how was that first experience of actually saying, okay, we're going from, you know, working a corporate job to all of a sudden we have to, you know, you have to fund basically your first purchase order. Um, and it was you, scary. Yeah. Right. It, you know, it was absolutely scary, but it was also really exciting. Um, <laughs> I've always been good at networking and sort of getting press, um, and that's just sort of helped me along uh, with meeting people and, and utilizing my network and started getting, uh, started getting a lot of publications and websites and magazines interested in the shoes. We wound up doing quite a bit of work with um, stylists uh, for the movies and TV um, and, and, and recording artists. I mean, we had... Uh, Trey Songs in the shoes, uh, Jay Sean, Flo Rida, uh, Honor Rebel. Um, I had a couple of members of Prince's band. Um, we worked with So You Think You Can Dance for five seasons, America's Got Talent. Um, Nelson Ellis, who played Lafayette on True Blood on HBO. Uh, his character wore Heydays throughout seasons four and five. Um, Heydays were in Ant-Man. Uh, I mean, I've had a lot of a really good media placement, um, which interesting to note is none of which I've ever actually paid for. I was gonna say, yeah, what do you attribute that to? Cause I mean, I know the big thing now is like influencers, Instagram, that whole thing. Like how do you actually get a shoe in an Ant-Man? Like, like how does that even happen? Ant-Man was, was actually completely random. It, it was their stylist must've picked the shoes for someone in one of the scenes. Cause they didn't even come to me, but they had, three separate shots of heydays in, in the dance floor scene. Did they tell uh, you or just were you just no, they watching? Didn't tell, you were, was, you're in the movie that to watch an Ant-Man. My wife and she's like, aren't those heydays? I'm like, yeah. Wow. Could, could not pay for that product placement. That is. No, that but is very you know, cool. a lot of, a lot of the stylists all know each other. And now, they probably follow all the same you know, industry blogs and other stylists. And then they go off on their own. Yep. And, it literally just spread. I think there were a lot of stylists that all worked on different Fox properties or on the Fox lot. And they just kind of 
shared me, you know, like a, I don't know. I was going to think of something dirty, but I guess you know, they just <laughs> passed me around. We, we have to I, put the explicit uh, little tag on the yeah, show. So. I mean, I, we had shoes on Katy Perry and her dancers. Um, I met with Justin Bieber's stylist. I mean, they all knew each other and they, you know, they saw a product that was really unique, that was relevant and that you couldn't get anywhere else yet wasn't a thousand dollars a pair. Did some of them reach out to you directly and say, Hey, we're thinking of, you know, placing this on a show or and did they all ask the for, okay. All the time. I just had a, a stylist that I've worked with for a few years, uh, just email me this morning. Now the interesting thing is he's, he's styling someone, uh, a, a YouTuber who has, you know, 90 million views. So it's like YouTubers now are like the recording artists from six, seven years ago. Yeah, that, that, those numbers, you start look at the top even 100 YouTubers and kind of, you know, they have estimates on how much they make and the numbers are amazing. Um, yeah, some of those operations. So they have, I didn't even realize they have their own stylist. It's at that level. Um, so then people are just kind of finding you through industry blogs, magazines, that sort of thing? On the industry side, yes. I, I mean, I've, I've been lucky to do uh, a number of podcasts like, like yours, and really they all kind of build upon each other. Someone's going to hear this one in a couple of months and say, hey, I heard you on that podcast. Do you want to do something? Um, and again, it's, it's networking. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And you just need to be able to take advantage of those situations um, and, and sort of milk it. Um, you know, for everything that you can, um, you know, for, for my customers, um, a lot of it is definitely organic, but we're pretty heavily involved in Facebook and Google PLAs and, and Amazon. I mean, you know, we're doing a lot of different, uh, uh marketing channels. Once you start showing up kind of in many different places, um, one thing I've kind of found is then folks start to think, oh, like, even if they haven't purchased from you before, they've seen you on Instagram, they saw you in Ant-Man and they saw you, you know, randomly somewhere else. Then they start to think, oh, I have like more of a relationship with this company than, than you actually do. They're not even a customer, they've just seen you around. So all of a sudden, then when they're ready to buy, they remember, oh yeah, those, you know, those shoes, okay, I'll take a look at them instead. First, just, you know, hitting them once with an ad, they say, oh great, you know, and they walk away. But when they start seeing you again and again, it builds this relationship that even though they're not a customer yet, they still are, a follower of yours let's got let's say yeah now i take that relationship to the next level really once they become customers um you know we're we're a small brand there's basically three and three and a half of us um and we all work remotely i'm the only one here in the u.s my uh development director my partner is in china and my marketing consultants in madrid and my my blog writer is in uh, Toronto, um, so it's really just me. I am I have always been and and am sort of the face of the brand, but I make the relationship with the customer really important. It's the relationship I have with the customer and the fact that you have access to me um, is just as important as the design of the shoes. And are you still doing most of the design yourself? All of the design yourself or? Yeah. Yeah. I do all the design. I do all the, the majority of the marketing. I do all the warehousing, the picking, packing, importing, logistics, customer service, social, uh, video cre content creator. I do everything. 
And now any retail relationships still, or is that all? Um, I have a couple of, there's a couple of uh, retailers that I have some product in, but it's really more based on just a relationship. Uh, you know, I, I, the brand I really feel should be direct to consumer. Um, while yes, it is nice to have, to be able to touch and feel and try on in person, I think people really today really are used to online shopping. We do free exchanges, free return shipping. Um, I, I mean, I ship stuff out. Sometimes I have an order and it's literally outside in five minutes um, because I'm doing it myself. There is no, you know, 3PL warehouse that I have to email the orders to at the end of the day and then hopefully they get to it the next day. And by the way, they're going to charge $12 a box to pick and pack and ship. Uh, I'm doing it. I'm so doing it all right here. It's all coming out of here in Boston then. Um, yeah. So, so, huh, so when the product I'm gets... able to have this, this really unique, close relationship with my customers, right? I mean, I'm friends with many of my customers. Um, and I have, you know, 20,000 customers. Um, but they all sort of feel like they they know me. And once the brand continue, we're gonna to continue to grow, add more people, uh, that whole level of personal connection can absolutely scale. Look at how Zappos treats their customers. They will do anything for a customer. And that I believe really in the same thing. Um, you know, just take care of the customer in whatever way you can. Don't I make it like I'm just talking to a friend, not like I'm reading a script or that I'm being overly polite and just, you're talking to a real person. You're not just talking to a customer service rep when you're talking to me. And people dig that. Do you feel that kind of close feedback loop also? Does it help kind of even with like the design, the design side and actually coming up with new ideas and you know being able to like talk and hear what people like and what people don't like? Does that kind of influence you as well? Or is it? You decide and you it know. does, but I don't necessarily take everything that I hear um, and, and make it happen. Um, you know, I, I am sort of caught between being like Henry Ford and Steve Jobs on one hand where, you know, Henry Ford said, you know, you can have any color you like as long as it's black. And Steve Jobs was famous for saying, you know, if you let the customer uh, tell you what they'd like, they'd ask for faster horses. You know, so I think I know what trends and what, what direction I want to take the brand, but it is important to hear what the customers say and then figure out how to temper that into something that's going to be commercially successful. Because sometimes they want stuff that is just like, oh my God, that's never going to sell. It's one of those things you have to kind of hear, hear a lot of it and start taking in different, use it more of a direction than actual um, individual data points, right? Where... You're not looking at saying, oh, if someone wants, you know, this, I don't know, bright green chew or something just, you know, doesn't make any sense. But if you hear enough people all asking for something that sounds similar, it kind of guides you in a, a direction almost. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to give it some time to, to see if certain things accumulate over time to see if it's something that's lasting. Um, I mean, we, we're, as far as, you know, fast fashion goes, we're pretty quick on the lead time. I mean, we're at about three to four months. Um, you know, Nike and Sperry, whoever, it's usually one to two years lead time. So, you know, if someone, someone, oh, you know what? Everyone's asking for pink camo. I could have pink camo for September. 
So when you say lead time, is that the time when you start hearing customers requested or is that some, you know, like the fashion industry kind of decided? It's about four months. Four months. Which is really fast. Um, you know, eight to 10 weeks of that is, is production and about four to five weeks is, is shipping from China. And then it gets shipped from China, then is it trucked across the U.S.? Or how does it actually physically get here? Um, it goes by boat to L.A. Um, and then it is either air shipped or trucked from L.A. to here. Uh, so it's usually about 14 days to L.A. or Long Beach. And then four to 14 days from L.A. to here, depending on, you know, are they able to get the, the containers off, off the ship in time? Has it been released by customs? Is there some issue with the trucking company? Did they take half the shipment and put it on another truck going to somewhere else? These are all things that have happened. Um, you know, my last shipment was flawless. Factory finished it on time. There were no shortages. It cleared customs the first day. It got off the ship the first day. It got from, from LA to here in four days. It's like never happened before that everything happen flawlessly. I'm sure it's not going to happen again. Yeah. I feel like if you've been in it long enough, every, everything you could think of has happened at some point. Um, so I guess eventually one flawless shipment will come in just, uh, yeah. <laughs> using those rules, but that, that could be your one. It, um, every, every combination of things will eventually happen if you, yeah. How has it been bootstrapping kind of, um, developing a product like this? Cause I know as you grow, it gets almost more capital intensive. Um, you know, the more you grow, the more orders you get in and you're going to have to reinvest the capital, but then you're going to get more and you need to reinvest. And it just, you know, these are, it's a very like cash hungry business. How, how have you kind of used that? How, what have you done to, um, handle those ebbs and flows and to deal with that? Uh, well, for a long time, I was just bootstrapping it completely on my own from my savings, uh, and then, you know, using profits from sales to, and reinvesting it. I never, never really taken much in the way of a salary ever. Um, I would borrow money from family. Um, I had looked into, um, you know, different lend different lenders. I remember years ago looking at the SBA and thinking, Oh, fuck this. You know, they wanted like a, you know, this is 10 years ago. They wanted a real business plan you know, like 50 pages. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, so I didn't get the money from them. And then um, eventually I made a connection uh, last year to an angel uh, who made a small investment, which really helped uh, push us forward. And then I kind of discovered uh, the power of working capital loans, which I had never really wanted to do before. Um, previously, I mean, I, I, I'm married, I have kids. I wasn't going to put my house up as collateral for the business. Like it just, I wasn't going to do it. Um, and so I really was like, Oh, I'll, you know, how could I ever get a loan? I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not putting up anything. Well, working capital loans, they do it based on your sales through, through your merchant account. So it's really easy, really get money in two minutes. Um, the rates vary. I happen to have a really good rate on one right now through PayPal, but that's really sort of saved my butt um, to be able to have that because I I love my investor, but I don't necessarily want to be giving up more equity um, for for working capital. And the and the working capital with every order as you grow, it 
you require more. Um, so even if you're reinvesting, you're going to have to reinvest more each time. So the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, cash flow is just uh, a serious uh, concern. There's a certain number of sales I need to make each day to sort of stay afloat. And there's been plenty of times where it's like, how am I going to stay in business? Um, but it always manages to work out in the end. And the last uh, four or five months have been really, really steady um, and increasing where it's like, okay, I think we're doing something right after all these years. Uh, what do you attribute that to, all of a, to see that kind of you know, uh, growth curve all of a sudden? Some of it is just having the right amount of inventory at the right time and being able to restock and replenish and having the right product. Um, Sometimes I've designed stuff that I personally liked, but it just didn't resonate with the customer. I, I, I found styles or new colors that the customers really wanted and kept reordering and reordering and reordering. So you know that was definitely a big part of it, but also having that investment sort of gave me a cushion in order to buy more product and try out things that I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do. Um, and same thing, uh, you know, with, with the factories, you know, you have to pay them. We generally pay them a 30% deposit when we give them the PO. And that's when they go buy the materials. They start cutting the materials, uh, you know, doing all the sizes. And then 70% generally right before it ships from China. Well, I can usually do the 30%, but that 70% can be a tough nut to crack. Um, you know, it's 20 grand. And there's probably still a, a month in between you know, you pay in that 70, that 20,000 to when you actually get the product. So that money needs to come from somewhere each month or each shipment. Yeah. And you know, that part now is kind of solved. Um, obviously taking on debt introduces you to other things, but the way that we're doing it, we're doing it, I think smartly because it's all based on sales. Um, there's no personal guarantee. There's this, there's nothing. It's just it's but the the money is being used to buy a product, and that product is selling. So it's kind of simple that way. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things when you first get into a business like this, you don't realize there's going to be this big like you think money comes out, but you don't realize as you grow it actually requires more every order. It just it gets more and more and more, and you know that initial funding is you know whatever you bootstrapped into it, fine. But then next order, you're actually going to need more than that. And it's going to, and it just goes like that forever. So having that kind of cushion is probably a key to be able to ride out those, uh, the ups and downs of putting a big order, have to spend, you know, tens of thousands and then just wait for it to arrive. And then you have to sell them, get paid. And then it starts slowly coming back in. Um, and being able to then plan like a trajectory and say, okay, I know in the next week we're going to have to order again, or the next, you know, if it's, Four months out, you have to you have to know quite a you know you have to see far into the future because four months um you know it sound it it's much longer it's when you're predicting the future inventory it's much longer than it sounds. The inventory is planning is very very challenging. Um, it might even be harder for a designer because I think the designer is going to tend to love everything that they create, and sometimes it's hard to separate. Well, I love that shoe, but you know, nobody bought it. Uh, and then it's like, oh, maybe I suck. And then, you know, it's it's a slippery slope down. I mean, I don't know too many entrepreneurs that, that don't suffer from depression and mania. 
you know, oh my God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> and then the next day it's like, oh, I'm fucking bankrupt. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things when that, when you do have the one that uh, sells out and everyone's excited for it and you have to keep replenishing orders, you you feel like you're like a rock star. And then there's probably days where, you know, you thought someone was going to be great and it wasn't. Yeah. But the key to that really is not looking at sales day to day or even week to week. You, you really have to, to expand out to a month or a quarter um, or a year, which I can't do. But, you know, in order to, to look at the bigger trends and the bigger picture, yeah, you know what, maybe I was supposed to hit a certain number this day, but in, in nine days, I'm going to do triple the business I expected, which is going to cover me for the, the bad day last week. And you would really only see that by looking at it from a, from a further distance away than every day. Yeah, it also helps too. Once you've been into it, once you start talking years, you realize there are actually like seasonal trends, things like that. Um, like I know here, there's months where we know sales are going to dip. They do they do every year, and there's other months we know they spike. They do every year. Um, and you wouldn't think, you know, I'm in software, and you wouldn't think that's actually the seasonality in software, but there is. And I imagine, you know, um, any sort of footwear is even more seasonal. So, and you probably get Somewhat. used to seeing those. It's somewhat, but in gym footwear and being direct to consumer and not being in a store, I feel like it's actually not as seasonal as it would have been had I been either an actual store or a a brand that was more general. Um, you know, they sell white shoes. You know, don't sell after Labor Day. That's not really the case anymore. But for my customer. They don't like wearing white shoes because they get scuffed at the gym. So it's not really white shoes don't work um, because it's January. It's because you know it's cold here in Boston in January, but in Florida or, or you know West Coast, it's not seasonal. Like it, they're on different seasons basically, weather-wise. So that doesn't really take into account. But it's what does my customer want? They don't want to wear white shoes that are going to get scuffed on a rubber floor um in in the gym so a lot of our shoes now have black soles or are black uppers um and the last year or so triple black or murdered out where the whole shoe is black has been huge for us um and so we're we're taking the triple black theme and extending it into other styles so now basically every style we make there's there's a triple black color and that's the number one color for each one hmm. what are the kind of tips these kind of i like the emotional ups and downs because i know it's something i've talked to folks it it affects everyone what kind of other than the kind of seeing the past the history any other kind of tips you've found to deal with that uh to to deal with the emotional ups and downs yeah on you might come out with a, a hit one you know one month and it could be a flop the next month and you know how do you tell yourself we're just going through this and you know next month will be different and just kind of ride that out each time it happens well, I think part of it is staying busy. Um, you know, there there is always work to be done on the website or in the office or planning something. Um, so instead of sort of dwelling on, oh man, that that shoe didn't sell, I should probably, you know what, I should probably think about segmenting my email list to figure out which of my customers may want that shoe, depending on a certain circumstance. If I offered them free shipping, if I gave them twenty dollars off. If they bought 10 pairs of shoes, maybe they'd want this one at a special price. You have to think of 
you got to sort of take everything in your arsenal and figure out how you're going to use it to solve the problem. So if the problem for me is this shoe is not selling, how can I make it sell? So focus on working the problem instead of the actual problem itself. And that's kind of been. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, it's just sort of your perception. You, you got to change the perception and you can change the outcome. Um, you know, I mean, I hate segmenting that email list. I just hate it. I hate having to come up with new content for, for each segment. And sometimes I'm like, screw it. I'm going to send it to everybody. But if you really dive into that, into that segmentation, you will find new channels and new customers to sell new product to or old product to. What kind of things do you segment the list based off of just kind of past purchases, or you can kind of tell, you know, this guy's a power lifter and this other one's a, um, bodybuilder. Or that's um, I mean, we collect their shoe size. We obviously we know where in the world they're located in. We know what style of shoe they've purchased. We know how many shoes they've purchased. We know in what um, frequency did they purchase those shoes in a set amount of time. We know the the value of all their orders. Um, we know if they haven't shopped from us in a certain amount of time. We know if they haven't opened an email from us in a certain amount of time. Um, I mean, there's just so many things you could look at. We know if someone's added something to cart and not checked out. We know if some, somebody looked at something but didn't add it to the cart. So we can do different um, cart and browse abandonment um, promotions to address people's specific actions. Hmm. So now are you finding that kind of email list using that to, for a lot of repeat buyers? Or are you trying to go mostly new? Or what do you kind of focus your time on You know, growing the... Well, for, for the emails, obviously, we, we have to have collected their email, um, which they may not be a customer. They may have just signed up for an email somewhere. Um, but chances are, if we have their email, they're probably a customer. Um, so as far as the emails go, that's really to educate people who are either customers already or at least have shown an interest by signing up. But uh, you know, we do a lot of Facebook ads. Facebook retargeting, uh, Google product listing ads. Um, we're, you have to try to go where the people are. You know, obviously we're really big on Instagram because uh, that's where the whole fitness industry is. Um, I, I go to expos and bodybuilding shows and set up tables and, and have booths because you need to to expand the awareness of the brand to people who don't already know about you. So if you have their email, they already know about you. So the question is, yes, you have to nurture those people to, to make a conversion, but you also got to find new people because there is, you know, I have customers that lit buy literally every single pair that I make, but that may not be enough to keep things moving in, you know, to keep the needle moving forward. You always need to add new, new customers to the mix and nurture the, the older customers too. Yeah, there's kind of, even in that, it's funny, even in e-commerce, there's a concept of like churn of like repeat customers. So you're going to have repeats um, and some percentage of them will, like you said, buy every pair, but some will churn out and maybe they'll stop lifting or get an injury where they're not bodybuilding anymore, whatever it happens to be. Um, so there's always every month and it's hard to kind of calculate, but there is a churn of, I did have these repeat customers, but they're going to, you know, something will happen, they'll fall off the map. So you do need to keep putting in that top of the funnel um, kind of new folks finding out about the brand. We call it feeding the beast. Feeding the beast. Any kind of tricks to uh, feed the beast on, is it mostly ads or expos or any kind of other 
Um, um, ads definitely, uh, definitely word of mouth. Um, and when you say ads, are we talking Facebook, Instagram? But you said product uh, listing ads. Facebook, some Instagram. Yep. Um, Google. Uh, we're doing Google PLAs now. We haven't been doing AdWords for a while. I didn't know PLAs. So you're selling like a, a unique product, right? Like, like a like nobody sells it except for you, right? Where do PLAs? How do they work in that sort of case? Because I know if I you know search for like a Apple iPhone, um, it'll show Best Buy, you know, Target, like ten retailers. But how how are people searching to find an actual unique product, um, and how does PLAs kind of work in that? Uh, well, a lot of times people, you know, our keyword list. So, you know, we kind of aggressively go after um, those short and long tail keywords um, to try to drive that business. And then being able to have the ads at the top of the page as people are searching, um, you know, and, and obviously it's a visual product, having having a photo at the top, um, you know, people just really respond to that. And PLAs are relatively cheap, too. Yeah, it's one of those things that's been around forever. And I feel like people, even like the new world of Facebook and Instagram, they still forget. Um, and product listing ads, just so people um, know, it's when you search in Google and Google realizes, hey, you're actually trying to, you know, you're not like looking up how to make a show. You actually want to buy a show and they'll show you whatever you search for a high top black shoes and they'll show you the images right at the top and you can click and go right to your store, right? Is that kind of? Yeah, that's correct. And they've been around, you know, product listing ads have been around, I, I don't even know how long now, like 10 plus years. And it feels like everyone like stopped talking about them. But every time I talk to folks that are doing it, they're always like, no, we still use it. And they, they do pretty well. So it's always this, but no, but it's not this like hot topic anymore. It's all, uh, you know, social, that sort of thing. So, but it's amazing. PLAs still work um, as well as they do. Yeah. I mean, we also rely on product placement. Um as well as affiliates. Um, we have a pretty robust affiliate program, um, you know, it, especially in fitness. People buy something, they post a picture of it. Hey, use my code. Everybody does that. And is this, is this affiliates that are promoting themselves through like Instagram and Facebook or how do they actually promote? Um, they, they can sign up and register themselves right on the website. We use an app called Refersion, uh, which handles, um, the affiliates, it allows them to create a profile that has uh, a unique URL. They can create their own discount code. Um, they can mention the code somewhere. They can use the, use the URL in Facebook or on their website. Um, for some of the, some of the reps uh, that I know, I, I have business cards. I have business cards with a blank back, um, and I'll use my Dymo printer and run off 20 or 30 cards with their discount code printed on the back and include that in the shoebox uh, when I send it to them, which, wow, you know, this company made me business cards with my code on it. It's nothing. I mean, it's, it literally takes 30 seconds to do, but people are like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. And these are, uh, what sort of reps are these folks? That... Um, just affiliates. I mean, cool. some are professional affiliates yep. that, you know, have, do a pretty good amount of business for us and others are just customers or just fans who they, you know, oh, I get everybody in my gym to wear these shoes. Oh, well, it's not easy, but please go ahead and try. Um, 
you know, we'll give you a discount. You give your cust, you give your fan or your friend a discount code. We'll pay you if they make the sale. Um, you know, it's it's pretty basic, but that's um, that's about a third of our revenue each month is through affiliates. It's so you know, it's a big part, and it hadn't always been. It had been a very small part up until a few months ago. I'm not sure what happened, but you know, we went about a, a tenfold increase in in uh, revenue from affiliates. So that's a really big part. And then, you know, I do send pairs to certain athletes um, and, you know, influencers um, in the hopes that they'll wear the shoes and talk about them and take photos. Some are fantastic. Um, and I've had some that I've been working with for years where I just keep sending them shoes every now and again and they they post about it. And I have others that Maybe they talk, you know, talk a lot of shit. Oh yeah, I can do this for you. I got this following. I'm going to be in this competition. All right, fine. We'll send you a pair. Let's see what you do with it. And then they do one post. And that's it. So I just lost $150 on a pair of shoes for one post. Um, but I have other people that really love the brand and really kind of take take care of us. And I keep working with them and I keep sending them shoes. It's not a formal that you know a lot a lot you'll see a lot of people uh in the fitness industry on instagram who are athletes say, you know showing oh look here's my contract with so-and-so supplement company i'm signing it now for you know the next year i don't believe in any of that shit you know i'll send you shoes you you get people to buy them we'll pay you you keep doing it we'll send you more product we'll do more for you you don't do anything we're not sending you shit Yep. So there's no long-term contracts. You're not. No, there's know, no. Setting a lawyer. There's yep. You you do right by me, and I will do right by you, and that's how it is, and and that's just the kind of person I am, and that's the kind of people I want to do business with. I weed out the people who are. I get. Trust me. Do you know how many people a day message me on Instagram or email me say, "Oh, I really like your shoes. Would you send me a pair, or do you sponsor? I'm gonna." be doing my first competition in a week. And then maybe if you're lucky, they actually put their Instagram profile in the email. Chances are they don't. And then it's like, you're asking about being a sponsored athlete and you don't even include your social media profiles in your email. <laughs> and then you go, look, oh, I have 646 followers. I'm not saying anyone needs to have 50,000 or 100,000 followers, but with a few hundred followers, you just can't, you can't do anything. You know, you're just not gonna move the needle. What's the minimum um, you actually look for when you say, like, what would be a entry it, level to you get, you know, you get a shot? Depending on who it is, and a lot of it is just, well, I'll say 5,000, but that's really still on the low end. I have a couple people that have smaller followings like that, but it's more, they've reached out and either, either they're customers already, which I really lend a lot of weight. I put a lot of weight on that. I don't like it when people out of the blue, oh, send me a pair of shoes. Well, have you ever worn them before? Have you ever seen them? No, I'm sure they're great. Sorry. Unless you got a million followers, I'm not doing that. Because that's people looking for a freebie. You know, I have people who, who reach out over and over again or are always tagging us on, on their own photo. Just people who are engaging, you know, engaging with, with me and with the brand and with other people and where I build up relationship with them to some degree. If they don't have the biggest following, but I see that they've got some heart 
and they're going to make an effort, we'll give it a shot. Um, and some of those people have worked out way better than people that have a million followers. It's just, it, it's the person you got to find the right people. You just, you got to find the right person to marry and you got to find the right person to deal with in your business, whether it's a partner, a customer, um, you know, an influencer, an athlete, you got to find the right people and you got to be the right person too, which sounds so cheesy and you know, whatever, but it's kind of true. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of those things I bet it takes a lot of time to build up where you're, you know, day one, you're finding, you know, the first five people and maybe four don't work out and each month you're finding a handful more and you know, half of them don't work out and you keep kind of building from that, you know, foundation from there. And you know, maybe it takes 18 years, but you, you get there or 12 yeah. years. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's super helpful actually. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I think a lot of people, um, will get a lot out of that one. So thank you for that. Sure. If people want to kind of find out more about you, um, I have a Instagram, Facebook, um, where else can people find you or if they want to know more? Uh, heydayfootwear.com, H-E-Y-D-A-Y. Heyday Footwear on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, uh, Pinterest, um, Instagram TV. I don't know if there's any other platforms I've missed, but it's Heyday Footwear everywhere. Awesome. We will definitely put links to that all in the show notes. So thank you very much for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure, Charles. Great talking with you.